0: A little over a month ago, BlackEnterprise.com ran a story with the headline, This Nielsen Senior Vice President is Making Sure Brands Recognize the Power of African American Consumers. That Senior Vice President is Cheryl Grace. And within the article, there was a report called It's in the Bag, Black Consumers' Path to Purchase. I spent a lot of time looking over this uh, report, and I reached out to Cheryl to have a conversation so we can truly get down to what's really going on with the black dollar. We are truly grateful that Cheryl is coming on the show today to talk about this report and some of the things that she's noticed over her 15 years with Nelson. We are truly blessed by this conversation and we know you will be too. I'm DJ Motri of the Black Equity Network and welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Equity listeners, we are here for another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. Now, I came across an article recently that was uh, talking about uh, the buying power of Black consumers. And uh, the report was called uh, It's in the Bag uh, Diverse Intelligence Series for 2019. And on the line, we have Cheryl Grace, the Senior Vice President of U.S. Strategic Community Alliance. Alliances and Consumer Engagement for the Nielsen Group. Uh, Cheryl, are you there? I'm here. Hi. Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Excited about this conversation. For those who don't know who you are, just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the position you have at your company.
1: So as you indicated, my title is Senior Vice President of U.S. Strategic Community Alliances and Consumer Engagement. And what that means is that um, I am charged with leading a team that goes out and starts um, courageous conversations with clients and consumers alike about the economic impact and purchasing power of multicultural consumers. And uh, under the Nielsen umbrella, We measure what consumers watch, what consumers buy, what they listen to, how and where they're making their purchases. And so in 2019, the annual report that we release each year on the state of African-American consumers was specifically focused on the Black consumer's path to purchase, uh, how we get to the decisions uh, to buy what we buy. And the path along that way. So that's that's what I spend most of my time doing. Okay, so uh,
0: I, I like it. And I did read th- through the report. So why is, in your your opinion, why is it, why does it matter uh, to understand uh, the path to purchase uh, for a consumer?
1: Well, I think it's important because uh, not
0: all of
1: us get to the. Um, Decision to buy what we buy the same way. And in many instances, people think it's a linear path to purchase. And it really isn't. It is um, sometimes circular. It's sometimes like playing ping, uh, ping ball, uh, pinball rather, Mm -hmm. where you just kind of like start all over the place. Um, And so it's important for advertisers to understand what some of the pre-purchase influencers are, Uh, For African American consumers, because it could be different than what some of the same pre store influencers are for non Hispanic
0: whites. Awesome. So what did you find? uh, You know, doing this study and studies in the past, what have you found that is different between our culture and other cultures?
1: Well, um, one of the things that was really interesting for us is is that technology is something that really resonates with African-American consumers. As a matter of fact, 61% of Blacks responded positively to the statement that I'm fascinated by new technology. Mm. And um, that's actually 37% more likely than the total population to be among um our peers to try new technology or new products. And we're also 43% more likely to agree with the statement. I like to have a lot of gadgets that tells you the importance of, um, smartphones, for example, with reaching and connecting with African American consumers before they go into a store or before they go online to make a purchase because they're doing most of their research via a mobile device. Um, the other big difference that I found is that it's really all about recommendations. Like blacks rely heavily on recommendations, more so than any other pre-store or pre-online um influence. So we go to our friends or families and we ask them, Well, what do you think about this product, the service, or do you know anyone that you know, has this product or this service, recommendations are critical for us. So for brands or small businesses or even, you know, global uh, corporations, it's really important that you have a positive, trusted, respectful um, relationship with Black consumers Uh, because if you don't, that's going to show up in their recommendations and they may or may not recommend you based on
0: uh, how they perceive you. So relationships truly matter. (laughs) They do. They do. Uh, How did you get into uh, this space? Uh, How long have you been with the company and how how did you get into this area?
1: I joined Nielsen in 2004. So it's been um, almost 16 years now. And I work at the local NBC affiliate here in Chicago at WMAQ Television. So I was uh, very familiar with the TV industry. And at that time, I joined Nielsen on uh, the media um, TV rating side of the company and uh, got promoted <clears throat> to head up communications on the buy side of the company, so the company right now today is uh, has two versions, the media side, which includes TV ratings, and uh, we measure uh, what you listen to on podcast and what you are listening to um, on the radio and et cetera. And we also have the side of the company that measures what you buy at grocery stores, drug stores, convenience stores, um, and our clients on that side of the business are manufacturers like P&G or retailers like Walmart. And when I was on that side of the business, I noticed that there was a lot of information coming across my desk about how Blacks were um, spending their money and where they were spending their money. And I wasn't aware of uh, this type of information. So I thought that it probably was a safe bet to assume that others weren't aware of it. And so in 2011, we started a report on the state of the African-American consumer, which has Mm. now grown into an entire series on diverse uh, audiences. And
0: so we put out the Black Report, as we call it, once a year. Uh And... have you have you seen that uh, black owned businesses, investors are utilizing this information for their? Absolutely. Company? Absolutely. Okay.
1: The same insights that we share in the report. First of all, these insights and the reports are totally free. And, you know, people who are listening can download it at Nielsen dot com. And Nielsen is N.I.E.L.S.E.N. Dot com slash African-Americans. And um, the insights that we share in the report are actually culled from a lot of the insights that we share with our paying clients. Uh, this is more of the syndicated data that we have and not the customized data that we, we share with um, our clients for more granular insights, but certainly businesses uh, small businesses can use this to better understand how to connect with, how to reach out to, and even who are their intended audiences. And if they happen to be African-Americans, um, what's the best way to uh, get in front of them and to get your product or service in front of them? So, yeah, it's
0: it's appropriate for all audiences. Now, I'm, I notice our culture spends a lot of dollars in the entertainment space um is there i know we have the the numbers behind what we do is there numbers behind why we do what we do
1: so um we historically are more quantitative in that we're measuring the numbers Mm -hmm. Um, qualitative, which is like when you have focus groups or um, when people like actually stop to tell you why we do do some of that. um, But what we know is, is that generally when we have some of the data and insights that we um, include in the book or in the report rather, we can kind of tell you why certain things are happening. So if you you mentioned entertainment, so if you take a look at the top 20 recurring broadcast and cable programs um, that are airing right now, what we know is that adults 18 to 34 who are African-Americans are watching um, a ton of (laughs) reality TV. Uh And the reality television shows that they're watching Tend to be very much exclusively African American. So, mm-hmm. Loving Hip Hop Atlanta Seven, Loving Hip Hop Hollywood Five, Loving Hip Hop Miami, Loving Hip Hop Eight, it goes on and on. Um, whereas, if you take a look at the 18 to 34 year old uh, demographic for the non Hispanic white population, mm-hmm. you don't see those shows popping up on their top 20 list. Wow. And a lot of what this says to us is if you build it, we will come. So if we have a choice of watching people who look um, versus other programming options, we're going to go with the options where people look like us. And you see that in the 18 to 34 year old um, numbers that we run and also adults, 35 plus. So for adults, 35 plus African Americans, you may not be seeing the same types of shows. So you're not seeing as much of the reality um, genre of shows showing up, but you are seeing that audiences who are black are tending to be very specifically focused on watching shows with people who look like us. So um, for 35 plus, you've you've got empire and star and mm-hmm. the haves and have-nots and scandal and green leaf and you know 911 and if loving you is wrong and queen sugar and this is us so um it goes to show you that diversity matters it matters with entertainment it matters um uh with music it matters and it shows up in how we present ourselves with um our consumption habits
0: and behaviors and what we're going to spend our money on. And then what ends up happening is, you know, now that we know where where everybody's located, that's when the advertisers come in and say, well, these are the groups of people that I want to advertise to. And then when you look at some of the shows like Queen, uh, Queen, uh, Queen Sugar and other shows that you mentioned, a lot of the advertisements uh, are from white, you know, white-owned companies uh, that are advertising to a, a black audience have you noticed that?
1: yeah, so um when it comes to it's not when it comes to advertising, I find it's not so much about black and white as okay. it is about green, okay, so green as in money, so right. um the more eyeballs a program has uh that means the more people who are going to be exposed to your your advertising. And so it makes sense to go where there is a larger number of viewers than where there may not be that same number. So advertisers uh, tend to be very prudent about where they're going to place their marketing dollars based on who they've defined as their target audience and who they're trying to
0: reach. Right, right. And we mentioned earlier in in the very beginning of this episode that uh, our culture is using more devices than anyone else. And so that increases the opportunity for people to get into uh, app development and developing apps for uh, people, um, really for everyone uh, within the culture. Have we seen an increase in Black ownership uh, for uh, app development?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the uh, things that we talk about in this report is How important uh, portraying nuanced and layered African-American stories is Mm -hmm. um, not just for video and audio, but also on um, digital apps and and how African-Americans are um, both younger and older are like surpassing the total population on using the most types of apps so including search engines and entertainment um and there's a difference in the uh telecom internet services category as well and so black consumers have searched to find products and services to fit our needs and when we can't find those apps then we create our own exactly and so we're seeing that's on the rise so um, one of the examples that we give in the report is an example about Squire Technologies, mm-hmm. which is the fastest growing small business management platform serving um, men's grooming segment. So basically, um, you know, hair is important to us, whether yep. you're, you're male or female, If your black hair is important. And so uh, this app actually helps men find barbershops in about 100 cities. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so if you get to a city, whether you're there on a business trip or you're there visiting somebody or maybe you just moved to the city and you're not really sure like where to go get your your hair It lists out barbershops for you. Really? And um, and so one of the things that we talked about was how it announced that it raised eight million dollars in Series A funding. Mm-hmm. And increasing the amount that they had raised to a total of about twelve point two million dollars, wow. and what started out as just an app idea to help individuals struggling to find a good barber shop actually grew into a platform that's changing the landscape of the barber experience. And so, when we use uh, our our curiosity, when we use our technology. Um, and when we use our our spending power for good, there are a lot of
0: great things that can come out of that. And this app is an example of that. I love it. I love it. And what, one thing that I'm really seeing from this report and others from the past is we really do have a lot of power with our purchase. And uh, one of the one of the ways that we you know have our power is with leveraging our culture. And you touch on. Uh, within the report, you talk about uh, hip-hop and music and uh, the influence that that has. How big of uh influence does that play on our culture?
1: Yeah, you know, hip-hop has surpassed rock music as the number one genre of music. Um, and so that tells you right there, it's huge. But it also tells you um, it's not just the African-American audience that is... <laughs> Bringing uh, life to that genre, that it is uh, working across all demographic segments um, and attracting audiences of all all types. And that's a really strong statement to make because you know, um, hip hop continues to dominate the music scene. The recording industry of America reports that streaming accounted for seventy five percent of music industry revenues uh, in 2018 and uh, what was interesting is that the billboard year end streaming songs artist chart uh, for 2018 featured out of 25 songs 17 of them were rappers right so um, you have to understand also that 50 songs on the 75 uh, year in lists of songs came from hip-hop. Wow. So uh, it tells you that there is power and influence in hip-hop and beyond, but it actually points to the fact that our culture crosses across all demographics. We tend to be trendsetters and other demographics want to know what we're doing, what we're listening to, and they're going to tune in and that makes it even more profitable for brands. So if you're attracting an African American audience, the chances are that you're attracting other audiences as well.
0: Mm, I like that. Trendsetters. We've always mm-hmm. been that.
1: We have.
0: And, we and have. That's, I mean, to me, that's, that's really our, our true cultural equity.
1: It is, and as long as it's not being, you know, um, utilized for for other gains, mm-hmm. but at least being attributed back to our culture, uh, it is absolutely something that we've been known for historically. But I think brands are just now starting to tap into how they can monetize uh, that, that the fact that we're trendsetters things generally happen in an african-american community about uh three to six or nine months before it rolls out into general market
0: right wow wow that's 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 a big that's a big statement there yeah Uh, (laughs) i'm just taking it all in i apologize (laughs) okay Um, so I, I want to make sure we touch, touch on this. Uh, in the very beginning of this podcast ever existing, we talked about the black dollar. And we talked about at, at the time, I'm not sure what the study is now, but at the time it was the black dollar would stay in the community for six hours before it would leave. And so I'm not sure where it is now, uh, but touch on the black dollar and how important uh, the black dollar is to all of this uh, conversation that we're having.
1: So you know it's really interesting because this is maybe the third or fourth interview I've done over the course of the last couple of days mm-hmm. and every single interviewer has gone directly to how long the black dollar is uh staying in our communities mm-hmm. and and it's an important point to make. So what I think is is important to also understand is is that African-Americans have right now $1.3 trillion of annual purchasing power. Right. Um, And that has grown tremendously since 2011 when we started these reports when it was around $969 billion. And what we've seen between the year 2000 and 2018 was that our spending power has grown at a faster rate than that of the non-Hispanic white um, spending power. So the African-American spending power grew at about 114%, at a rate of 114% versus 87, 88% that uh, the uh, non-Hispanic white rate grew. So that shows you that we're actually spending faster than um, than the total population. But I think the other important point to kind of understand is so many brands and even our own small black owned businesses get hung up on the fact that our household income is um, oftentimes smaller than the total population's household income. And so people will see that and they will stop there and not pursue African-American consumers, you know, as a viable audience beyond that point. But what they're missing is the fact that um, expenditures by household are actually much higher for African-American households than they are for general households. And so um, what that says is is we may not have as much income, but what we do have, we're going to spend it and -hmm. we're spending it higher and we're spending it in, in other places. And so for companies, small businesses who are really looking to tap into the black consumer power, don't let the household income stop you. Take a look at the expenditures and it's not what's coming in, it's what's going out. Okay. That businesses should care about. Now, investment institutions, investors, financial institutions, banks, you know, um, credit counselors, they may all have a different take on that. Right, Understandably slow, understandably slow, but um, but for businesses who that's not their area of focus, then understanding how we're spending is is something they should pay attention to, not the household income.
0: That's, a, that's good to know. And I agree. If the money is coming out to you, <laughs> pay attention to the money that's coming to you. Uh, right. Business, as an investor, I, I, I agree. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit to uh, looking at uh, the enrollment uh, for college and for Black students. Um what, what what did you find uh, when you're studying uh, that area as far as uh, black students and enrollment? What type of statistics are found in that area that stood out to you? So what has
1: long stood out to me that I've found um, very interesting is how little we hear about African-Americans and are, um, growing in, are growing college enrollment, for mm-hmm. example, in general market media. So um, they're not telling the stories. I still, when I, when I hear general market media talk about African-Americans in education, it's usually surrounding a dropout rate. Mm. Um, So they're not telling you that the percentage of African-American high school graduates immediately enrolling in higher education continues to rise, uh, and that it reached 63.1% between the years 2016 and 2018, and that that's up a whopping 62.7% from 2013 to 2015. So it's, it's growing, but that's not a story that we're often hearing. Um, black female high school graduates have increased immediate enrollment in college from 63.6 percent to almost 70 percent over uh, the same time frame between 2016 and, and 2018. So black women are enrolling in college um, more frequently than um, our black our our black guys are. So um, and we're increasing with the number of bachelor's degrees or higher that we're actually earning. And all of this actually has an impact on our um, economy, because once you have a college education, in theory, then you're getting higher paying jobs, and then your your household income is going up, your expenditures are going up, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it all builds on top of each other.
0: And so something else that's in this report that I want to make sure that we touch on is uh, this U.S. Census that's coming up. Uh, Why is that important for our culture, really for any culture, but why is that so important for us to even be paying attention to?
1: Well, representation matters, and the census only happens once every 10 years, as everybody knows, and so it's important to make sure that our households are counted because it ensures that we get the funding that our communities need It ensures that we have the resources that um, is needed to to be viable and strong communities. And Nielsen actually does uh, with our our television ratings, it's all census based. So it's important for us as a business to have an accurate knowledge of how many African-Americans there are in the United States. And right now, we are at about 47.8 million Blacks, so almost 48 million Blacks um, in the United States. And so we pull our numbers based on that, and then we are uh, careful to ensure that our panels and households who participate in our studies are representative of the population. So if we're comprising about 14 percent of the U.S. population, uh, then Nielsen's sample is also about 14 percent of the population. So it's really important for us to participate in the census in 95 percent of homes in the country are going to receive letters with instructions by uh, about March. So that's just in a few months. And you'll have the opportunity to respond digitally for the first time ever um, or by telephone or on the paper using the paper form. So it's really important for people to not take it for granted, to not assume that their representation doesn't matter because it absolutely does. And I think it's also important to know that the census is considered confidential. So it's against the law for the U.S. Census Bureau to share or publish any private information that identifies an individual, including uh, by identifying it with other government agencies. I think that's really important for people to know that I don't think that
0: they do know. This report is one of the most fascinating uh, fascinating pieces of literature that I've read uh, this year. What has been your overall... Uh, thoughts on just as you've been with the company, as you've been studying the culture, where are we headed? What, what are you seeing uh, for the future and just your reflections on the report in general?
1: So listen, right now, the median age for Blacks is 32. And that is significantly younger than the median age of the total population. And, uh, and that means that our or more of Blacks are under the age of 35. So, we're young, we're growing, and when brands can figure out how to connect with us culturally, they have a longer lifespan with us as consumers. If they get in and understand our value when, uh, if they reach us when we're younger, but it also speaks to the responsibility of us as consumers to only spend our time and our money with brands who are um, worthy of our time, attention, and dollars. And so, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves five questions. Whenever we are about to make a purchasing decision or whenever we're about to listen to something on a streaming uh, platform or watch a television show, there are five questions we should ask ourselves. The first question is, can this product or service be found in my neighborhood or on a platform um, that is reflective of my community? Mm-hmm. The second question is, does this particular company or business hire people who look like me? Amen. Does this particular company or business or program um, reflect positive images of people who look like me? Bingo. And the fourth question is, is, is this particular business um, supporting causes that are important to my community? Mm-hmm. And if the answer to any or all of those four questions is no, then the fifth question has to be, do I want to spend my time or money with this company?
0: Say that last question one more time.
1: The fifth question has to be, Mm
0: -hmm. if the
1: answer to any of the other four questions is no, the fifth question has to be, do I want to spend my time
0: or money Mm. with this particular company? Now, The most important thing I'm hearing there, I know you're about to to say something, but the most important thing I'm saying is not just the money that is the focus. It's the time, too. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Your time time is your money. Mm -hmm. Your time is certainly someone else's money. Exactly. So if you're spending time watching a program or if you're spending time listening to, you know, a streaming service, there is a beneficial um, uh, fiscal aspect of that on whoever is receiving that time, right? So Mm -hmm. you're spending some kind of money or there is an equation of money. Um, So absolutely, your time and your money are both equally important.
0: important. It's important to pay attention to the different stories that are coming out from the culture and really see, well, how is this company responding to our needs? How is this company... Uh, showing that they're they're actually caring about our culture. All those things matter outside of just the content that is being pushed out.
1: It does. It matters. Who's showing up at your neighborhood um, um, events mm-hmm. and who's sponsoring the events that you care about? Who are those companies that aren't afraid to be there with you? Who speaks up when an injustice has happened in the community? Who's Who's not afraid to say something? in support of the African-American community. Those are really important things to look at because it tells you who the leadership is behind the brands that you're supporting with your money.
0: So really your vote isn't just, you know, during the political season, your vote is really with your dollars on a daily basis.
1: That is so good because
0: your vote is with your wallet. You vote with your wallet every single time you walk into a grocery
1: store or drugstore and buy a tube of toothpaste or a tube of lipstick or, you know, a roll of toilet paper. You are voting for a particular brand. You're saying, I choose this brand over another.
0: Mm, I love. I, I really love that because really when you realize that you decide, when once you realize that power, you realize you decide reality. Because yes. you get to decide who's gonna make it, you know, you get to decide between Netflix and Blockbuster. Yes. <laughs> you know, what, yes. what's gonna be the future uh, of our country.
1: That is a great example between Netflix and Blockbuster, right? It it also when I talk to high school students, um and 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 share the example of the Montgomery bus boycott in the fifties, mm-hmm. um the bus company of montgomery assumed that blacks could not live without their service mm-hmm. um, until blacks were living without their service <laughs> right and it was it was an eye opening you know moment for the bus company it's like oh my god like we can't survive without them and so if you fast forward to 2019 2020 you know what are our our montgomery bus um, service opportunities is it cell phones and the cell phones that we choose to use um, you know our young people spend a lot of time on their mobile devices and what if we decided to take away cell phones from everybody who is under the age of 25 mm-hmm. right like what would what impact would that have on some of these brands that are putting cell phones out there? You have power. You just have to think about how you're using it every single day.
0: Now, I know you may not be able to speak on this, but when some of these companies get into hot water, how many of these people are reaching out to you saying, hey, what can we do that, that can improve our stance within the community? Do those conversations happen? Because I, I noticed lately there's been a lot of different companies in and out of the news that they probably are getting really bad press when it comes to black culture and the black dollar.
1: Yeah. You know what generally is happening when um, those types of uh, occurrences make public news is Mm -hmm. that they either didn't have someone on their team who looked like you or me, Mm -hmm. or they had not empowered the people on their teams that they had who looked like you and me to speak up Mm -hmm. or the person on their team who looked like you and me and who spoke up. uh, They may have been ignored and, you know, and it fell on deaf ears. But also what happens is sometimes some of these rate television spots, um, campaigns, they happen in other parts of the world where, you know, diversity doesn't mean the same thing in Italy or Spain or Europe that it means here in the United States. And so if you test a concept out over there, and it goes over wonderfully, then you assume that it will go over as well here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, and you find out, uh oh, no, that, that didn't work here. Um, so making sure that you understand the cultural nuances of of Blacks living in America. Uh, if you are purchasing or using, um, I shouldn't say purchasing, but make sure you understand Blacks here in America if you are promoting products mm-hmm. to Blacks here in America.
0: That really opens up the conversation around diversity and inclusion because sometimes it feels like, well, is diversity and inclusion really needed? Should we just have our own companies? But, but what I'm hearing is, Diversity and inclusion is needed more, uh, really more for them, because if you want to stay in good standing, you're going to need us in those rooms helping you make those decisions, you know, those boardrooms, those executive level decisions, or you'll, you'll really have a blind spot to our culture. Well, listen, if you if you take a look
1: at Asian Americans, Hispanics, and African Americans, and how fast those three demographics are growing here Mm -hmm. in the United States. Right now, 21 of the top 25 most populated counties in the United States are already multicultural. Mm. Um, 51% of all uh, kids um, that are under the age of 11 are already multicultural. 40-something percent of all millennials are multicultural. If your company does not have a strategy that is focused on multicultural consumers and connecting with us, you are not going to have a company mm-hmm. in the next 10 to 20 years. <laughs> That's true. It's just period. It, it's just like we're growing faster than the non-Hispanic white population. And if you're not taking time now to take us seriously, you're going to look up and you're going to be a blockbuster. Exactly. <laughs> now,
0: w- with what you're saying, that would mean that a lot of these podcasts, these YouTube influencers, these black owned businesses, you have a lot of leverage. You have a lot of power and, you know, don't necessarily, because I've noticed a lot of people, uh, you know, in the podcast space or other spaces, they just take the quick, the first quick check they can get, not understanding that you may be more valuable than you realize.
1: Yeah. Especially when it comes to podcasting, I, it wasn't in the report, but I have a stat here somewhere. Um, about podcasting that speaks to <clears throat> how much it has grown mm-hmm. over the course of the last five years and those numbers are like off the charts mm-hmm. and the reason that they're growing so quickly and that audiences are really like gravitating to them is A, because you can self-select what you want to mm-hmm. and um, you don't have to worry about code switching going You can get real 100% dialogue, Uh right? So all of that is there. And that's one of the reasons that podcasts are so popular.
0: Yeah, I've I've had a lot of emails come through where people are wanting to partner, they're wanting to work together because they understand or they're starting to understand. And I hope this episode takes it to another level. That, hey, this is Black Equity Podcast. We're talking to Black entrepreneurs, Black investors, and then people who maybe want to be Black entrepreneurs or or investors in the future. They're starting to realize the the power of podcasting uh, over time, and the emails are coming in. And it's just a matter of time of deciding, well, who do we partner with? Who do we work with? And I think a good way of knowing that is looking at those five questions you talked about earlier.
1: Exactly. Like I was just going to say, make sure you use your five questions wisely and, you know, that will help you make the best determination for you and your brand um, on who you should be doing business with.
0: Cheryl, I am so thankful for you coming on and having this conversation. And thank you to all the contributors. For anyone who checks out the report, there's over 30 people that contributed to this report. And so I want to thank all of them. Uh, for all the work that they're doing on a continuous basis, uh is there any last uh last thoughts or closing remarks and also how can people uh work with you if they want to be a client with your with your company
1: yeah, so they can um reach me at dot uh, grace at nielsen dot com The best way to reach me uh is on LinkedIn at Cheryl grace because that way I can just forward your uh your LinkedIn information directly to the person uh, in your respective industry who can help you. Okay. So, uh, Cheryl Grace on LinkedIn. Uh, and to just visit and take advantage of nielsen.com, going to our website and in the search bar there in the right hand corner, typing in any topic that is of interest to you or business. Um, item that is of interest to you, typing that in and looking at all of the different types of reports and uh, studies that Nielsen has probably done on your area. So if you type in travel, something will pop up. If you type in streaming, if you type in whatever your business could be, someone called me the other day about skincare and we found like three or four reports that could help her with her skincare business. Mm. So utilize Nielsen for these free reports um, as often as you
0: can to help strengthen your businesses thank you so much cheryl this is an episode that i know is going to bless the culture and i look forward to seeing how people utilize this information uh, to strengthen their businesses strengthen their investments and for consumers to start really thinking you know hey we have all the power it's in our vote with our money and we need to really start taking our power back in every decision we make thank you so much for coming on the back of the podcast thanks so much for having me remember to vote with your wallet Thank you so much. Alrighty, Cheryl, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You are welcome back anytime to continue this conversation and continue telling us about the findings that you are seeing within the data. For those who are listening, business owners, investors, and most of us, we're all consumers. This is information that I want you to walk away with. And I want you to ask yourself those five questions before you start getting, you know, sending your dollars out to all these different companies. Those questions are going to allow you to see, well, how do I get to vote every day with my wallet? Every day with my wallet, every day with every dollar that I put into any company, I'm deciding the future of my community. Who are you going to spend your dollars with? Hopefully this episode serves as a reminder that you can't just hand your dollars to anyone. I'm DJ Motri of the Black Equity Network, and thank you for listening to the Black Equity Podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and all major platforms, and make sure you uh, become a uh, Black Equity Insider and follow us on Instagram over at Black Equity Network. Thank you again, Cheryl, for a wonderful episode, and we'll see you next time here on Black Equity Podcast.